I'm a big believer that experience teaches. My goal with this show is to have guests to share their experience so that they can tell you what it's like, what they did right and what they did wrong. And I'm gonna share the same. Look, I'm not trying to regurgitate stuff you can find on the internet. I'm gonna tell you how it really is and what it's really like to own your own place. This is the National Restaurant Owners Podcast with your host, Kyle and Sarah. All right, joining me today are the authors of Delivering Digital Restaurant, Carl Orsborn and Meredith Sandlin. Carl is the global retail executive and board member whose experience spans blue chip companies, disruptive startup ventures, and restaurants. I'm talking about names like AMPM, Juicer Pricing, Kitchen United, and Alfalfaco. Carl has been recognized as a power player by Nation's Restaurant News and Business Insider for his thought leadership in supporting restaurants to adapt to the challenges and opportunities offered through digitization, technology, and automation. Meredith Sandlin has created and driven disruptive growth at both Fortune 100 and startup companies. She has spent a decade navigating changing consumer demands and restaurant real estate environments. Meredith Sandlin is the CEO of Empowered Delivery, a SaaS company that enables delivery-centric restaurants to manage end-to-end deliver transactions from brand development to logistics through one platform. As the former chief development officer at Taco Bell, Meredith reignited unit growth after the 2008-2009 recession to build, hold on to your hat, just to build, just listen to this number, 1,000 Taco Bells and add over 1 billion in sales to the brand. So safe to say they know what they're talking about. Check them out here. Authors of Delivering the Digital Restaurant. The link to buy the book is in the show notes. Check it out. This episode of the National Restaurant Owners Podcast is brought to you by Plate IQ, your accounts payable automation and expense management solution. As a restaurant owner, you know how important it is to stay on top of your bills. Plate IQ works with over 20,000 restaurants across the country, helping them manage and automate the full life cycle of the invoice process. Everything from general ledger coding up to and including bill payment. Plate IQ uses OCR. What's OCR, Kyle? I'm going to tell you. It's optical character recognition and deep machine learning to help eliminate manual data entry from the accounts payable process. With Plate IQ's vendor pay, you can seamlessly flow from invoice upload to paying your bills. That means you don't have to type it in. You scan it in and it does the rest of the work for you. How about that? Does that save you some time? Some headaches? With Plate IQ's vendor pay, you can also see what is due and when. Schedule payments via check, ACH, or Plate IQ card. Plus, you can even earn cash back, yes, cash back on your invoices from over 180,000 vendors. I didn't even know there were that many vendors. That's amazing. Lastly, vendor pay is also for vendors. Keeping your vendors happy will give you leverage in negotiating your terms. Vendors participating in Plate IQ's vendor pay love it because on average, they get paid 25% faster. To learn more, head over to plateiq.com, hit request demo in the top right-hand corner, and when you're done and you love it and you're ready to sign up, mention that you heard all about Plate IQ on the National Restaurant Owners Podcast from Kyle and receive 25% off implementation. Hey, guys. uh, Welcome back to the National Restaurant Owners Podcast. I am joined today by Carl Osborne and Meredith Sandlin. They are the authors of Delivering the Digital Restaurant, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about digital restaurants. We're going to talk about restaurants. We're going to talk about everything and anything. We don't know what we're going to talk about. How about that? So uh, thank you guys for joining me, and um, let's get it going. What do you say? Yeah, nice to be here, and thanks for having You know, we we were saying to each other just uh, yesterday, Kyle, that your podcast was the one that got away last year because we, we always are listening to you, and I know you started this around the pandemic time, which was – around the same time as when we were writing the book as well. But we, we're, we're really thrilled to be here. So thanks for having us on. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, it's a little bit embarrassing that it went this this long. So I appreciate making the time. I know Meredith, you and I have been back and forth a couple of times. So. That's right. Well, you're a popular guy. Trying to get on your calendar is like, wow. It's really, it just comes across that way because I'm disorganized. So it's, <laughs> that's the way it looks. Yeah, that's totally by design. Totally. Yes, you look, you look like you're in demand. So good job. <laughs> So, I mean, it makes sense to jump into the book, but why don't we just, why don't you guys give a little bit of background on one another so we can just kind of have an idea of of who we're talking to here. Yeah, sounds good. Well, I'll start. I am Meredith Sandland, and I 
was for many years the chief development officer at Taco Bell, where I built lots and lots of Taco Bells. And halfway through building a thousand Taco Bells, I thought, why are we building them next to malls when no one goes to malls anymore? That's kind of weird. And, you know, rest assured, all those Taco Bells are doing great, but it planted a seed in my mind. And that seed only grew, as I'm sure you can imagine, when we as a brand tried to enter Manhattan and realized that we were paying the world's most expensive rents to send our product out the door about 40% of the time delivery. And we thought, gosh, wouldn't it be great if there was a commissary that we could just deliver tacos out of? And of course, this was before all of this um, ghost kitchen stuff started. And so fast forward a few years, I met the guys at Kitchen United and I thought, oh my gosh, they're building the thing that I, as the customer, the chief development officer of a national brand, wish existed. And that doesn't happen too often in your career. So um, I joined them and that is where Carl's and my story intersect because that is where we work together. So you guys met at Kitchen United? Sort of. Sort of. Okay. Sort of. Carl's, that's yeah, what Carl my, my journey... My journey was relatively similar in the sense that I came from big company background like like Meredith. And so I spent 18 years with BP, 15 years of which were in the convenience store space, doing a variety of different roles um, from managing pricing for our UK business, which was the most political job of my life, to running finance for a retail business, to then ultimately um, running the 1,000-unit network of AMPM over here on the west coast of the U.S., and it was really there that I just saw the change in dynamics of how the consumer was de- demanding even more convenience, especially when it came to prepared food and, and prepared drinks and mm-hmm. everything in that space of a gas station environment. And I got to the end of my tenure there and, you know, I was always wanting to get into entrepreneurship, Kyle. I always loved the the spirit that I, I had seen through my um, exec MBA that I'd done and wanted to have a bit more firsthand experience in that space. And so... I was introduced to Meredith through a mutual friend who said, well, I, I've got a friend that's gone and left a huge company in Taco Bell. And she's, she's doing some of these ghost kitchen things. Yeah. Yeah, don't worry about that. But you should hear about her journey that, <sighs> of what it's like to leave something big and go into something small. I said, this is great. This, is, this will be really helpful. And so when I had a coffee with Meredith the first time, it was for no real intention of ever expecting to be working alongside her in this, in this space. But uh, when she started to explain ghost kitchens and, you know, the, the, the vision that she had a few years earlier and the outline of where this was going, this made so much sense. Now, I would be lying if I didn't say that a certain uh, company called Google uh, invested in Kitchen United didn't give me some extra confidence because I assume their <laughs> their due diligence was probably going to be better than yeah. what I did. So that that's that certainly yeah, yeah, right. not the story. But I came in, helped build um, the operating model, customer success, and really saw that. And this was, of course, all pre-pandemic when ghost kitchens weren't well understood mm. in, in our industry. And um, Meredith and I, sometime later, I remember we were, we were on a journey home in the car from our head office in Pasadena to where we live in Orange County. And I said to her, look, we're constantly running up against this challenge of restaurants asking, why is this even necessary? And is digitization a flash in the pan? Is this something that's going to be here today mm. and gone tomorrow? And of course, we didn't believe that. We believed in the future for where things were heading. And I, and I said, you know what, maybe we need a book. Maybe we need something to help the restaurant folks that we're speaking to, both both the independents, but also the big enterprise chains, by the way, something to help them see that this isn't the tech companies, it isn't the VCs, it's actually the consumer that is driving this change, this need state, much as I was explaining in the in the C-Store environment. And, um, and Meredith said, yeah, great idea. Go, go on to Amazon, find a, find a book, buy them. And, and that, <laughs> uh, that, I think was where Meredith thought the book story would end. Unfortunately. Yeah, I don't think I ever would have agreed to that if I had known that it involved my actual writing. Exactly. We we unfortunately did not find such a book, Kyle. And so um, we went about writing it after we left Kitchen United and we interviewed over a hundred different executives, both at restaurants, but also in the tech companies that were building the future of a digital restaurant. And it's been a remarkable run. You know, the book came out in hardcover October of uh, 2021. 
and it's won a few awards. It's become a bestseller in in a number of different countries. We've just uh, spoken to the Romanian Restaurant Association. It's getting translated into Romanian. So uh, Romanian friends out there of of the podcast, you know, you'll be able to get either an English version or a Romanian one. Shout out to that guy listening um, in Romanian. You know, and uh, we. We've, we've spoken at numerous events, both here in the US and abroad, about the idea of digitization, the, the potential of the off-premise channel. And of course, all of this has happened through the pandemic when it's become far more relevant for everyone. Um, and also, we have our own podcast. It's, it's, um, it's now called the Digital Restaurant Podcast. It used to be called the Monday Minute, where we, we try to talk about the top headlines affecting restaurants from a technology and off-premise perspective. So we are thrilled to be here, as I say, because um, we, we often are listening to you and, and your guests, and there's so much stuff happening out there, and it's all happening at such a pace. Yeah, I mean, you guys were, I mean, talk about timing, right? I mean, that was like, you guys were able to understand what was happening pre-COVID, this event happened and you're like, let's take let's, let's see what we can provide some value here. And I think, you know, in my mind, when I think about this stuff, I always have two different, you know, they say we're in like marketing or in kind of content stuff. You try to imagine who you're talking to. So I have one guy who listens to this show. I, I always think that he's going to call me and be like, you, you're talking about me, aren't you? Who had like, right when the pandemic hit was like, I need to get involved with online ordering. I need to, I, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, okay, cool. Who's your POS? Like, I don't, I don't even have a POS. So I think about him and I think about like the big multi-unit operator, tons of tech. How do we sort through what's best for us? When you guys wrote this book, what were the strategies that you had in mind that were applicable, like overarching applicable? And then how do you niche it down based on a lot of different topics? But let's start like with this, the strategies that you recommend for restaurants in the book. Where, where did you start? Well, you know, the first book is less about strategy and more about why this is so important, Mm. um, who's doing, what are they doing, uh, really trying to explain the change that is happening to motivate people to make change. And, you know, when we think of our audience and who we're talking to, it's it's the independent restaurant who might be, you know, before COVID never had any tech, might (laughs) be they have a little bit of tech, but, you know, they're kind of overwhelmed by all the choices. But that was really our muse as we thought about how do we just help share all this stuff that's going on? Because there's so much change happening so rapidly. People just need some background in it. Yeah, And now we're coming out with a new book and that book called also Delivering the Digital Restaurant, but this time The Path to Digital Maturity talks a little bit more about the strategy of, okay, how do you think about adopting all of this stuff? And, you know, we think that during the pandemic, a lot of restaurants adopted technology, frankly, out of necessity, a little mm-hmm. bit like, oh, gosh, to survive, I need this and this and this and this and this. And now that we're kind of past that, there's a great chance to step back, take a deep breath and consider, how am I doing this? What do I want to do? And which things are right for my restaurant and my yeah. consumer base? Yeah, yeah we, we hope this is going to be a, a playbook. You know, that's that's we the way we want it to be interpreted because there's so much complexity out there. You know, I, I go to most of the conferences uh, across the US and when you look at the the independent restaurant that perhaps gets to one or two of these conferences a year and they walk into these giant exhibition halls, Kyle, and it's like deer in the headlights. Like, where, where do mm-hmm. I start? It's not like yeah. it's not like all of the exhibits for certain pieces of technology are situated right alongside each other. So people say, well, "Ah, this is where you are. Go to the left hand side of the court, or you need to go to the right hand side." It's yeah. it's all there together, and it's very convoluted. And I think what we're trying to achieve through the book is for those that read it to find their spot on the path to digital maturity, understand what it takes to really optimize yourself in that particular area before them progressing on. And we, we understand, of course, it's not necessarily a linear path in the way that we outline, but it does go to show to say, don't try and do everything overnight. It's not a yeah. sprint, it's a marathon. And if you take some of the principles and the tips that are outlined there and complete the worksheets that we've included in the back of each chapter, you'll probably be in a better place to really um, you know, find a, the, the best type of rest- restaurant that you can be. Yeah, I, I remember... I guess it would have to be 2017, 2018 in, in one of my restaurants. And at that time, there was like technology for the inventory technology, like the iPad ordering stuff was just becoming about reservations. And it was just like my partner who was not tech savvy was just like, this is just too much. 
Like we don't, we don't need this. And then we had people coming in trying to sell us other software and you can online order now. Don't call us anymore. And he was just so like overwhelmed. He's like, I can't, I cannot imagine having to plug this into our existing process. Do you believe, I mean, I personally think that that is the, the mindset of a lot of restaurants, right? I mean, obviously the more progressive ones at Taco Bell's and the larger chains are, have obviously taken a step forward in that, that thinking, but the independent restaurant owner, do you find that they're still struggling with that piece or is it really just kind of struggling? Okay. I know I need it. I think kind of like version 2.0 now, like, okay, I know I need, it, but what do I need? Or are they still kind of like, eh, not for me. I think it's getting better and I think it's getting better because we're starting to see point solutions come together in platforms. What you're describing in 2017, 2018 was really the early, early front end mm. of it. And it was a million different little pieces of sol- sol- of the total solution. Yeah. And as a restaurateur, you're, you were saying, okay, I'm going to add this, add this, add this, add this, add this. And every single piece of technology that you added would sort of unveil new problems you didn't even know you had, right? And then you need a whole nother piece of technology. And it was so piecemeal. And when you uh, then added up the cost of managing all of these different systems and having so many different SaaS subscriptions and trying to figure out how to onboard and offboard employees to make sure that their passwords were correct and you didn't have old people still able to access your system. I mean, all of that stuff just got so complicated. And we're now entering an era when a lot of those technologies are starting to um, kind of align and combine forces either through actual acquisition, right? You see someone like Toast or Olo acquiring other companies to build out their platform um, or through marketplaces where they say, these are the preferred partners who are already integrated and easy to use uh, with our technology. And as we get into a more mature phase of technology and restaurants, you're going to see a lot more of that. It's actually going to become a lot easier to have more technology solutions because they will be all in one um, or at least all on a platform plugging in very easily instead mm-hmm. of you as a restaurant owner having to figure out 20 different things that you need. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always say to somebody like that, figure out what you don't want to do or what you're not very good at doing and see if there's a tech solution for that. Would you recommend that as a first starting point for a restaurant or just trying to dip their toe in the water? Mm, that's a really interesting way. I mean, that's a really interesting way. Like basically like you're failing at answering the phone today. So let's yeah. <laughs> figure out how to do online ordering. Book and you're getting overlapping reservations or your inventory is a mess or like, well, like yeah. how do you, how do you like, what's the, what's the, what's the entry point here for the, for that, that, that independent restaurant was trying to figure it all out. The very yeah. first step. Um, I think that's really interesting advice. Like where you have a giant mess, insert technology because it can probably <laughs> fix the giant yeah. mess. Um, I, the other way to go about it would be the complete opposite and say where you know you're really good at something and where consumers rely on you for something, insert mm. technology there because the, the process will be easier. When you have a giant mess, you have to rely on the technology to help guide you into a better process. And if you're willing to do that, you're willing to um, organize your business around the principles of how that technology works. Awesome. But if you're not willing to fix the underlying operational mess that you have, uh, it's not going to go well. The technology is not going to work. And that has been honestly one of the biggest learnings I've had. So I'm now in a new role um, as the CEO of Empower Delivery which is a SaaS-based restaurant tech software company that is optimized for delivery and it combines the consumer product and logistics journeys all together in one piece of technology. Very cool. Um, But it's my first time really working hand-in-hand with an engineering dev team. And what has been most amazing about it to me is to learn how they cannot program something without understanding every aspect of how it works in the real world. And the the software and the operations come together in a symbiotic manner, like totally lockstep. And that's why you see all these tech companies having things like customer success teams. Well, what is that all about? That's about how do we make sure that your operations work in the same way that the technology works so that they're humming together instead of fighting against each other? Yeah. That's, I mean, my brother-in-law actually works in customer success. And we talk about yeah. it because it's like he's, it's, 
a lot of folks, they, okay, I have it now, like work. I want now this what? Work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, now, why is it not working? Then they just unsubscribe. They don't, whatever it is. Because yeah. you they, have to change your own behavior. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Right. And I would encourage um, restaurants to lean very heavily on the customer success team of whatever technology they choose and to ask for things. And one of the amazing things about the internet is all of these companies put out amazing white papers and articles about how to do different things. You know, you can go to YouTube and find some superpower user of Toast explaining some arcane feature and how to do it. Like, you don't have to figure it out on your own. There is someone that you can call at any of these companies to help you with it. Or they will put out, if they're getting enough calls on the same topic, they'll put out a white paper or you will find a super user on the internet describing how they took advantage of it, which is amazing. That's how I found well, out everything. There's, there's something on YouTube, in there, right? I mean, I'm not going to find out about it. If I could like, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. If the hot water heater breaks, I think I can fix it on YouTube. How to fix a hot water heater. Like that's <laughs> same thing. You got, you can check it out that way for sure. Totally. Oh, I mean, one of the big differentiators, Kyle, I think between technology providers though is the level of interest they put into customer success. Yeah. You know, there are there are a load of different providers out there today that are saying, yes, we do this and we do that. But a big way of being able to assess which is the best one is not just by the function and features that they offer, but also by how they support the onboarding and then the day-to-day support of, of the restaurants through using that technology. Because one of the big challenges out there is, is that a lot of the technology that restaurants have paid for and are paying for on a monthly subscription basis today they're probably only using 30, 40% of its true capabilities. And I think yeah. that's where, again, you want to use functions like customer success to help you understand what truly is available to, to really optimize that, that use. Yeah, because I have the unique perspective of having a 15-year-old daughter, right? So I know the impact of having, I, I, I witnessed it on a, like, I feel like hourly basis, the impact of something digitally not working and having it impact her decision. So that, I think for restaurants, that's a big deal. Like if the online ordering is clunky and it doesn't fit well with the website or if any piece of that doesn't work, Sean will call it, Sean Wolchev calls it digital hospitality. And I love that is that experience has got to be so tight. Otherwise you're going to turn people off before they even get into the restaurant, before they even order the food. If you can't get that nailed down, yeah, you got to prioritize that because like, for example, just the communication, like guest reviews and things of that nature, like in her regular communication with friends, if you leave somebody on red, you know what I mean? Like meaning like they saw that you read it and you don't reply, you might never talk to them again. Like they don't want to talk. That's so offensive. And I think as, you know, generations evolve and, and we age up and they step into what they're used to, that's going to be a big deal. If they write her comment saying, hey, the fries were cold and nobody responds or they never get the fries in the first place and they're like, hey, well, you know, your fault or whatever it is. Um, I just, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is this is a massive, should be a massive priority for anybody who's in the restaurant space. Yeah, we have an expectation of magic now as consumers, right? We we think that everything should just work. And, you know, we've probably been colored by our experience with Amazon, but it is so easy to order and things just show up and we never think about what are all the things that it takes to make that happen? What is all of the crazy global supply chain and local logistics occurring mm-hmm. to make that happen? How much programming is going on? Like they had to build such an enormous cloud that they started selling it to other people, right? Yeah. Like yeah. there's so much infrastructure required to make that magic happen. And we never give second thought to it. We just expect it to be magic. And now we carry those expectations to other places like yeah. restaurants. And we think, well, why isn't it as easy as it is to order new socks from Amazon? You know? Right. I mean, that's why I, I just did a piece of content about Shake Shack and Taco Bell's in the similar vein. Is of These guys can't do what, you know, multi-lane drive-throughs and all sorts of different type of pickup options. But looking at what they do and trying to implement that scale, I think is super important, right? Because that's where their head is. And McDonald's, same thing, these locations that now you just kind of walk in and take your food, you order. It's, I've posted about it to get real world feedback. I would say 60% of the people are like, perfect. I don't even want to talk to anybody. I don't want to. And I think that's, I think where restaurant owners struggle. They're like, well, I provide hospitality when you come in and when I can talk to you. But like, they're not realizing that well, good ones are realizing, but certain independents are like, this isn't the same. 
But it, well, that's I think clearly part, not the case. part of that is, is largely because um, why did folks get into hospitality, right? Why why did they want to open a restaurant? Exactly. They, they opened it because they love food. They they love the the look on their customers' faces when they're enjoying that food, and it's about that environment. So, in that sense, technology can sometimes be seen as just the opposite of the mission of, of why that restaurant was set up in the first place. And so, I think in, certainly in our first book, we 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 try to advocate to say, look, this isn't about replacing dining. Dining still has a role to play for sure, but this is about a different customer occasion. We yeah. argue that it's actually about taking the occasion away from the grocery occasion because the customer is short on time. And so therefore, this isn't about either or. It's actually about how can you build yes. more on top of it. Now, how far that goes longer term as to whether you truly want a delivery optimized business or a off-premise optimized business. Can you truly do that by merging all of these channels together? Well, in our next book, you know, the path, path to uh, digital maturity, we advocate for the fact that actually the things are going to start to separate. We're going to start yeah. to see that actually you're going to have some restaurants that are purely focused on dining, creating a wonderful experience. And then in the, the new world, we call this, this new concept, the digitally native restaurant. Yep. That idea of restaurants that are fully optimized for giving the best type of off-premise experience possible. And that is going to require some material shifts, not just by the restaurants, but also by the technology companies that support them. Can you talk about the role of artificial intelligence, machine learning, and how this is potentially going to be used to level up that digital hospitality and personalize that customer experience? Yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, one of the areas in which that is taking a, a role is is in my latest venture. You know, I'm a co-founder and COO of a company called Juicer Pricing, and we're, we're bringing dynamic pricing to the restaurant industry. And dynamic pricing, as many of us will, will, will know, is very something that we see every day in uh, airlines, in hotel bookings. And all of that is building an algorithmic forecast that helps recommend a price point based on a variety of different factors and initially on a sales profile, but eventually the product that we're building will incorporate things like weather, cost of product, when the big mm. game is on and how that should recommend a certain price point. So in that sense, that is an example of, uh, of how a lot of the intelligence of using data, which you know, machine learning, all the, all the terms we hear, AI, all these things, in many ways, it's about how do you utilize data more effectively? And how can you do that to inform better decisions? And so certainly price points is one thing, but it's happening everywhere. And I think the the more we get a co a comfortable with how we use data to manage a restaurant on a daily-to-day, transaction-to-transaction basis, is going to lead to a one-to-one -one experience with our customers to be able to give them the very best experience. And I think that's where we really should get excited. Yeah. Because if you bring this back to on-premise, you think about the... The, the, the kind of manual artificial intelligence of your very best server that knows the names of all of your loyal guests, that knows that they like this particular wine or this particular dish, that is a form of intelligence that they're bringing to create a great experience. But yep. unfortunately, we don't have the best server on every single shift, on every single day in every single restaurant unit. But artificial intelligence and better utilization of data in a restaurant environment across all channels is where every guest can have a personalized one-to-one -one and great experience. Yeah, I, I know it's it's like, and I saw a reference to this comment or, or reference to what I was thinking is, you know, Uber Eats or Chipotle will send you a text like, hey, do you want to order that bowl again? And you're like, holy crap, you know what? I do want to order that bowl again. You know, and some people are like, oh, I don't know, it's a little freaky, but it kind of works, right? I think you're going to get more used to it. And I think those kind of things are the things that, along the lines of artificial intelligence or having the AI uh, know that every time you come in, you order a Pinot Grigio and you order an IPA and suggesting like a depreciate, like, hey, Meredith and Carl are coming in. Just remember, this is what they like and blah, blah, blah. And running that information, I think that's how it's going to provide that real personal yeah. experience. So, but there's also, there's also something here about understanding the motivation for the different platforms. Because mm. through your own first party channel, you can create the experience you were just referencing about the right kind of bottle of wine to offer yep. a guest. For a third party, the motivation for a third party is to encourage their guests to come back to purchase from that platform. Right. And they will use the data points to say, oh, Carl and Meredith, they like to order Thai food, right? And so therefore, they will provide options in front of us that represent that type of cuisine. Yes. Now, it's not necessarily always going to be the restaurant that we typically purchase from. Obviously, there are carousels that offer that, but there are different motivations. So this, again, comes back to this importance of 
trying to find a way to get your customers to your first party channel and find that because then that data is yours to use for you to create push notifications or email campaigns to be able to really ensure that they feel that there's a connection between you, the restaurant, and them. Yeah, because I think what's important to also understand here is that that technology is available to the restaurants, to independent restaurants now, whereas it wasn't so available and it was a little bit out there not so long ago. But this stuff is approachable, guys. Like you can you can do what they're talking about here. You can offer your own delivery. You can get the guest information. You can text them when it's time to make a reservation or when they put their birthday in and things of that nature. Is is that like to you that type of level of service? Is that where this is all headed? Like really just making like focusing on the guest experience as opposed to now, it just seems like a lot of different platforms coming at you that can be seem a little self-serving, like to your point. Is this really going to become more all-encompassing where, you know, the bigger groups like you mentioned before, Taco Bell and McDonald's are all have this all in-house. But I, I can see small unit operators like multi-unit, three to five unit guys really bringing this all in-house and handling it their own too. Yeah, I mean, I think the platforms are making it easier to do that, right? You know, someone like Toast who has so many different features or huge uh you know, pantheon of partners that you can choose from, I I think absolutely make it easy for an independent restaurateur to do these things. And that's the beauty of SaaS, right? So I think um, a prime example is when I was at Taco Bell in development, we built out a market planning system that we spent a lot of money building out and no one else could really have what we had except for the other big brands, people like McDonald's or Panera or Chipotle might have a really big market planning system that they custom built. Well, now with um, things like SiteZeus or Placer, like everyone can have access to this stuff for a small monthly fee instead of having to spend this huge upfront cost. And that's what SaaS does for industries. It makes it so even the smallest independent can have access to as good or almost as good technology as someone who's building it in-house or taking the best of breed different parts and stitching them all together. Um, Now, in terms of like how personalized will things get? I don't know. I think that depends a little bit on us as restaurateurs of how we approach it. You know, I think we can all identify with a statement that our email is broken and that we are all just getting flooded with tons of emails, more than we could ever possibly read from retailers and restaurants and everyone who, you know, information marketers, all these people who want our attention and are sending us tons and tons and tons of stuff, right? And uh, with tools like Attentive, which is the equivalent for text marketing, um, when you're an early adopter of it and you're the only one texting, guess what? Everyone reads it. But there's a choice, you know, a path that we need to go down. And one could be that we could ruin text also, and everyone will start texting the way that they're emailing today. And you'll open up your text and it will have, you know, 157 messages from different restaurants, retailers, and information marketers who all want your attention. The other path we could go down is say, I'm only going to text when I have something that is super precise to you. And that's where the machine learning comes in. That's where all of these huge data sets and the ability to understand this person is going to respond to this message and I'm not going to send them other messages that they don't want. That will be amazing, right? And I think we can do that. We have the computing power to do that. We have the understanding of how to make that happen. We have the data sets, uh, but I don't know that anyone has really gotten there yet. Yeah, I mean, I think... That's also where it becomes super important to be driving that narrative on your own social channels and your own website is that now you're even controlling it even more so. I mean, in in the regards to speaking about your content and driving that to your native delivery, to your to your links, to your, you know, you can point on the screen like, hey, order here or the menu is hyperlinked. I think that's really super next level. Any restaurant that's executing on that level, I think you're kind of ahead of the game. Would you guys agree? I think we would. I, I think the in, in our path to digital maturity in the new book, that's what we talk about in the second chapter. So to give you an idea, the, the first part is third-party optimization. Do, do what you can on, on the third parties and optimize yourself to gather new guests and uh, attract the uh, incremental volume. But then the second chapter talks about first parties and the importance of being able to convert them across to your own platform. But it's the second chapter, Carl, yeah. right? So yeah. <laughs> yes, for sure, for sure it, it's, um, it's a, a journey. But the, 
it, it's probably one of the biggest challenges I think most independent restaurants have right now. How do I get more volume across to my first yeah. party channel? And perhaps the way to explore it is to more um, adopt some of the e-commerce metrics out there that yeah. we all see in, in the uh, retail sector, for example, things like lifetime value for a customer. Because if you position the cost that you might pay, the 20, 30% fee to a third party as an acquisition cost, but then also add into that the cost that you're going to need to pay to be able to get that customer across onto your first party channel. You know, you, you, you delight them with a great first experience on a third party transaction, perhaps. But then you've got that moment between obviously the quality of the food experience, but that whole moment there is also your chance to tell them why they should give you some information so that you can reach yeah. out and convert them. So that could be on your packaging. It could be on your bags. It could be on a little leaflet that you attach, which has got some really standout, potentially lost leading offer, right? So if I was to receive something from your restaurant and I have a great experience, I'm, I'm trying it out, it tastes delicious. And then you're also offering me something to say, order here at kyle.com and for you know um, 30%, 40% off your next order within the next week. Or give me your email address and I'll give you a 40% yeah. off. You're already starting to put them into a, you know, a funnel, an e-commerce funnel, if you will, where you can start to then convert them. Then, of course, and this is what we spend quite a bit of time on that second chapter in, you need to create an experience on that first-party channel that is as frictionless as what the customer is used to having on their third-party channel. And we use this term count yeah. the clicks. So in as easy as it is for us today to order from something like Amazon, where as a registered user, we can order within two or three clicks, on DoorDash, it could be five or six clicks. The average first party channel is probably somewhere between seven and 12 clicks. So whatever you're doing on your first party channel, your user interface, it has to be, it has to be frictionless. It's got to be differentiated. It's got to make the customer feel like you hear them, you see them, and you're, you're showing all the great things about your brand. But it's also going to recognize that they want to eat quickly. Yeah. And so you've got to give them the convenience in that, in that design. And if you can do that, then it's a case of them building that funnel and using that ability to then reach back to them to say, great, thanks for trying us through our first party channel. I want you to come back again. And you only need to reach out to you know, loyalty providers out there like Patronics to be able to see that once you've got a customer that visits you four times, that's when you've really locked them in. And then uh-huh. you could uh, start to understand what the lifetime value is. And once you've got that understanding of lifetime value, then you can make a business case around the cost that you've paid all the way up to that point to make commercial sense as to why you should have done that. Yeah, you can't click on any online retailer now without giving your email, right? Like you get 15% off, get 10% off. And then they even hit you with that snide little like, oh, I guess you don't like saving money or something like, you know what I mean? Like they, they really take it next level to get that. But that's a great point is looking at how these, because you're an e-commerce brand, right? You, you got to be able to deliver on that, that experience. And I, and I know for me, just even the little things, the little nuancey things will irritate me in terms of friction. Like, like if I'm, if I have to go through like the PDF menu one is what I always pick on. Like the menu is like, I kind of zoom in and I'm in the car and then it's that weird thing where it shrinks when you try to zoom in. I mean, it's that digital experience that I think has never been more important. I, I have experienced it at, at a lot of different locations. I think I'm realizing more and more of these independent restaurants are starting to pick up on that. And I love to see that. I love to see them trying these things and yeah. seeing what works and what doesn't work. And I, P- I PDF menus have to end, Kyle. PDF what? menus have to end. That, that has to be that was a um, that was an approach through COVID to be able to get your menu online quickly, so that hopefully someone can call you up and order some food, right? Yeah. But it, it's not the route forward. So if you have a PDF menu, <clears throat> excuse me, for a restaurant, find a solution. There are plenty of providers out there that can give it a more interactive digital ordering experience that is akin to an e-commerce experience. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 w- I want to go back to what you just said about restaurants becoming e-commerce businesses, because I agree with that so wholeheartedly. It's one of the trends that we wrote about for 2023 in Nation's Restaurant News. Restaurants are becoming e-commerce brands. And I think it's such an important and simple reframing for a restaurant to go from thinking of themselves as a physical place to thinking of themselves as an e-commerce brand. And whether or not you fulfill via delivery, irrelevant, right? But the way that consumers find you, even if you're a dining brand and you don't do delivery at all, the way consumers find you is online. The way they make a reservation, they want to do it online. The way they review you is online, 
right? Everything they do is this e-commerce transaction. And we love Noah Glass's phrase, Noah Glass of Olo, the digital entirety, where he talks about, you know, it started that it was the off-premise transaction, the delivery transaction that was digitized. But we're going to end up in a place where every transaction at a restaurant is digitized, right? And think about like the digital order and pay at table that so many restaurants have now instead of having a server. I mean, this is how consumers want to interact with things. And especially like you talked about your daughter, as as you get to the younger and younger generations, the idea of talking to a human being to get something is crazy to them, right? It's like almost intimidating or scary. Yeah, they're like, why do I have to do that? I can just text them or I can just do whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. So in in that, I mean, I think we've laid out pretty clear here that you guys need to be prioritizing this and, and where you can get started. Can you guys just really just put a bow on this? Like what's the, where do we, where do we wrap this up? Where do people put an end to this today and say, okay, this is my takeaway today. This is where I'm going to start. But what do I need to be looking forward? Like what, what, how do we wrap this all up for them so they can kind of take it home and really put it to work? Well, in terms of wrapping a bow, the first thing I'd say is you don't have to solve all of this overnight, right? So this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And it's going to take you, as long as it's going to take you based on the amount of resources that you have. And we're, we're moving outside of the pan, you know, the pandemic era now to a place where I think most understand that this is worthwhile taking seriously. How far along the digital maturity path you had is ultimately going to depend on the the prize that you're able to accomplish for your business, but also the ability for you to invest further resources into into this space. Because the more you invest, the more potential you're going to be able to to harness. I think, you know, most restaurants today, I would probably go as far as to say 70 to 80% of restaurants are probably in the first three chapters of our book. And there are how many chapters? Meredith, eight chapters, right? So, that gives you an idea of what we're trying to suggest. We're, we're saying, look, there is a journey still to go on here, even though a lot of you are, are in that in that first section. Now, why do I say that? Because third parties still play a role. You know, we we don't suggest that third parties are are, are the evil kind of uh, step brother of the the industry. We believe that they play a role. They might play too controlling a role, and there might be things that they need to do to support restaurants more effectively. But they are a critical part of this overall ecosystem. And so therefore, understanding the role that they play for your restaurant and how you can work with them to be able to optimize your presence on them is absolutely the first step. The second step is then being able to create that frictionless platform where you can have a first party experience, where not only are you going to be able to accumulate better profitability and bottom line to your restaurant, you're also going to start to bring in that customer data. Now, further down the path, we'll talk more about how to use that data more effectively, but getting the data, capturing it, and just putting it into some form of you know, spreadsheet initially is fine for just being able to accumulate that data in time. And then once you're at that point, we then move on to really thought, thinking about capacity. And that really is, isn't so much about digitization. It's about how really, how, how much can you really churn out of your kitchen? How much, mm. how, how much today are you letting your current on-premise business dictate how much potential your off-premise business becomes. And that is then, you know, uh, there's a whole bunch of things that we cover in, in that particular chapter where we help people think about what, uh, what that looks like. But understanding your capacity then gives you an outline of how far can you actually reach. Yeah. And that will then give you a platform to say, okay, how much further do I want to go along on this path? So it's those three things together that are really the uh, outlined in, in each of the chapters of the book and the path to digital maturity, I think, will help people get to that level of understanding um, pretty simply because it's a relative relative to the first book. I think this is one that is definitely more accessible. You agree, Meredith? You didn't nail that one. All right. Totally. hundred <laughs> percent. That's amazing. I mean, so, I mean, guys, I think the bottom line here is pick up the book. You need a place to get started, pick up the first book and the second book is out and available or not yet. It'll be out in the first week of February, I believe, and you'll be able to find it uh, primarily on Amazon. It's probably the easiest place to go. Okay. Um, of course, we always like to say, if you want to support the first party channel, head to deliveringthedigitalrestaurant.com. 
Yeah, and if you if you're needing to pick up a book to get started here, you can wait for the second book. You got enough to get through with the first eight chapters of the first book before we start worrying about <laughs> two over here. Um, I will, you know, I generally end the show with a couple questions. If you guys are okay with that, yeah. All right, cool. So you, here we go. I mean, who wants to go first? I will. You're going to go, go first? Okay. Yeah, because uh, that way it gives Meredith a chance to think about it. And I, I like the spon- spontaneity. Very gentlemanly. Okay, very yeah. gentlemanly. <laughs> so you got to navigate this. Okay. I might ask her a different question. Okay. Oh, well, they, I can't help <laughs> you now, Meredith. <laughs> if you, and I, you and I are traveling, right? We're in, a, we're in a city. We're in Europe, maybe. Our phones die. We can't, we can't get in touch with one another. Where, what kind of restaurant am I going to find you in? I go looking for you. Where am I going to f- most likely find you? Oh, you see, uh, now, now, <laughs> now, you, now you expose me for the type of foodie I am. <laughs> I, I, love, I love checking out any restaurant that has a different experiential type of setup. So um, I'm, head, I'm heading to, to Mexico this weekend, and there's this lovely restaurant um, called La Cliff, which is situated on the edge of a cliff. It's a beautiful vista. There's often a wedding happening out on on the edge there. It's uh, it's a beautiful setting. The food is great. I could stay there for hours. And so hopefully you'll find me because typically a great restaurant experience for me is one which lasts for three, four hours. There you go. Okay. Mara, the same question. That was a trick set up before. It's the same question. Oh, my gosh. I would like to be living Carl's life. That sounds lovely, <laughs> Carl. Please uh, let me know where that restaurant is so that when I go to Mexico, I can go there as well. Yeah, right. Uh, I will probably be found in a coffee shop. Um, I uh, end up drinking coffee or tea, mostly tea, probably three or four times a day. And so just because of frequency, that's probably where you're going to find me. Odds are I'll be drinking tea in a place that sells tea. Okay, that makes sense. All right. Next question. One meal, three people. Who are the people and what's the restaurant? Can't be the same as your Mexican retreat. We got to find Ooh. something different. All right. Um, no so, easy way out here. Um, I'm going to, Meredith's going to hate me again because I'm going <laughs> to put some other kind of world travel stuff in Tell there. Tell us Taco Bell. Um, so I would be at uh, a converted monastery uh, called um, uh, Monastero Santa Rosa, which is uh, in between. Um, Positano and Amalfi on the Amalfi coast in Italy. And it's a beautiful hotel and there's, there's a Michelin star restaurant. And clearly, of course, I've got that beautiful vista and experiential aspect that I explained from the first answer. In terms of the three people, are they allowed to be alive or dead? What's, yep. what's, and they can be what? like, you know, if you want to add a celebrity in there, anybody, you can get anybody. It's like a genie, magic restaurant genie. Wow. All right. I, I like this. Okay. <laughs> so I would probably bring someone like Richard Branson because I love what he's done in the world and the way in which he's developed such a service orientated culture with his business. I would bring back Steve Jobs to understand what does he think the next 50 years of technology are going to look like. And I'd probably bring someone like Elon Musk to the table just to see how you know, how is he in reality? Is he, is he as he is on Twitter or is he, and what, what kind of crazy plans has he got for the next 20 years? All right. I like that. I like that. You have very worldly answers, which I can I appreciate. What, what are you about you, Meredith? Again, Carl's life's so much more interesting than mine. I, <laughs> so I would for sure bring my husband my son and my dog. I, I, does he count as a people? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I'm, sure. I'm not arguing that my dog is absolutely person and, and, yeah. and now you've got me in trouble with my wife so thanks <laughs> and well she could come with us because i she could be my third person um and we would be at the beach and we would be eating bear flag fish tacos which uh that's a local fish taco company here in southern california that makes amazing amazing fish tacos um and great pokey and we'd be hanging out at the beach having a fish taco picnic there you go. Man, you guys had the, I think those might be the two best, most thoughtful answers I've had yet. And the last one's super easy. It's just a little bit, maybe paint you into a corner a little bit, but that's, but it makes for good entertainment. What restaurant, tomorrow's your day off. What restaurant are you going to for lunch? Mendocino Farms. Mendocino Farms. Um, All right. Lo- love their food, love their branding, love what they're doing over there. And I think they, uh, they also have a great off premise experience. 
Meredith? Uh, I would go to Zinke, um, which I thought you were going to say Malibu Farm, uh, Carl, at, which is right next to Zinke um, here in Newport Beach. It's on the water. Um, it's a great place to hang out. And you could be there, honestly. Carl, your favorite thing for hours, just looking at the marina, enjoying the sunshine. I was there, I was there on Sunday. So I, I, I know exactly. <laughs> What's the name of that restaurant, Meredith? Zinke. Zinke. Wow. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. And right. the Malibu farm right next to it. Um, both of them lovely. And there's a Nobu there as well. They're all like right in a row. It's really they know what they're there. doing. It's a beautiful yeah. place. <laughs> Amazing. Well, guys, thank you so much for the time today. Can you tell everyone where they can follow you, where they can get the book and all that fun stuff? Yeah, sure. So uh, you can obviously follow Meredith and I on LinkedIn. It's probably our most active uh, social platform, but uh, deliveringthedigitalrestaurant.com is where you'll be able to read all of our blog posts, our other podcast appearances. You'll also be able to register for our own podcast, uh, which was formerly known as The Monday Minute. It's now called The Digital Restaurant. Uh, and that is where we, every couple of weeks, talk to each other for about 10 to 12 minutes about the top headlines affecting the world of restaurants, off-premise, and, and technology. And, of course, if you'd like to get a copy of the book, you can do that at deliveringthedigitalrestaurant.com or Amazon. has a Kindle version, a Audible version where I can read the book to you. Um, or if you'd like to get both of the books, you can come to our website and get a little combo package. And that way you'll be supporting first parties and uh, we'll add you to our distribution list so you get to hear all the latest and graces from our side. That's great. Guys, thank you so much for the time. If you're struggling with figuring out where to get started in your digital journey with your restaurant, now you know where to start. You guys can stop asking me, what do I need to do? Now you have, this is, everything's right here. If you don't, didn't quite grasp it all right here, you can go grab the books. Guys, thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us. It was wonderful. Thanks, Kyle. Take care. All right. We're done. That's it for another episode of the National Restaurant Owners Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I hope you learned something new. Don't forget to follow us over on social media to stay up to date on all the latest episodes and all the show updates. You can find us on Instagram, on LinkedIn. And on TikTok, that's right, we're on TikTok now. Just search for the National Restaurant Owners Podcast. And, of course, if you liked what you heard today, leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. Your support helps us reach more listeners and kind of just keeps the show going. And that's what it's all about. We want to reach more restaurant owners, more restaurant owners who are in need of help, who are maybe just one piece of information away from saving their business or taking their business to the next level. So that's what it's all about. And uh, that's it for this week. So thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week with another episode of the National Restaurant Owners Podcast. See you guys next week.